really forefront people is a Harvard scientist. His name is Robert Stickgold, and he's a neurologist. And he's been studying dreams his entire life. And he's noticed that it actually makes sense that we wake up with a new idea because we don't just process information in sleep. When we're asleep, our brains can completely let go, not just process everything that we've seen in the day, but actually start working with it. Your brain starts to make new connections with it. Stickgold calls it exploring possibilities, which I think is a really fun way to say it. Most people don't know about this. And I'm thinking, how useful is it? But also, how would it change our lives if we know that sleeping isn't just a waste of time, that you get rested until you wake up and you can do things again, but that sleeping is actually a very productive state of mind where you get yourself ready for the next day with new visions of it, new ideas, new angles, new ways to look at it. Hey, we all know the downsides of not getting enough sleep, but let me tell you about the upsides. Let me tell you how you can use this in a really focused manner if you want to. I mean, you're already doing it. You're already thinking in your sleep. You can't help yourself. We all think in our sleeps the whole time long. Yeah. But what if we really want to focus that and make use of it? And what if there was a world where instead of having a team meeting all day and it's exhausting, we say, okay, we start the meeting at noon. Everybody gets to sleep in for as long as they want, but bring me your ideas. That could save so much time and so much energy and so much effort. And it's way more efficient. What does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much, you would cry if you ever had to leave it behind? Hey, I'm Nick. I'm your resident interior designer. I'm a serial expat living currently in my sixth, no wait, seventh country. And I'm your humble host on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate your joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy of and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong. And in this season, I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change. Because we are post-COVID-19 and it's safe to say life has changed for all of us. Change has been dumped on us, and I know that we all have at least one area of life that feels exhausting and overwhelming, and I know you're tired of just reacting to change. So here I am, talking about all the aspects that make a home worth having, and I'm here to show you how to make change work for you. So please, lean back now, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. everybody to a new episode of the Homeworth Having podcast. Listen, dear listener, if you've been here before, then you know that season three is all about change and that I usually talk about change in five different areas because those five different areas are the areas of life where people struggle the most with change. And one of these areas is attitude. What attitude do you need to have in order to make the change that you want to make because every change is struggle and we just engage in that change because we want a better outcome. And usually I post these questions to my guests, but today I need to start with you, dear listener, because I need you to check your attitude when it comes to the topic that we're about to discuss. I'm having a guest today on my podcast 
who is working with dreams. And when we mention the word dreams, out of my own experience, I usually don't talk about my dreams or how I use dreams in my work because people are having a reaction. They're having attitudes toward that topic. And usually there's two reactions to those. There's either the spiritual kind of person who very much likes the topic and believes that dreams carry some kind of message. And that message is in some shape or form connected to a form of divinity, the super subconscious, God, intuition, whatever you want to call it. And then the conversation takes place in that realm of belief. And don't get me wrong, I love belief, but we all believe in different things. And there's a lot of controversy and you can't mess with people's beliefs. They take it very personal. And then there is the other side of people I don't know how to call them. Let's call them the academic, logical, left-brained focused people that believe that dreams, there's not much to them. It is some sort of residual memory we have of a storage process that's happening in our brains and dreams are nothing but a mess. And if the spiritual people believe in divinity, then the other group believes that it's absurdity. And as so often with topics that divide the people, you always hear the people on each end yell or laugh very loudly. But there's actually a huge gray zone in between. And today I'm talking to Nicoline Duf-Isema. I hope I pronounced it right. I always have to have the French touch since I'm married to a French guy. And we will be talking about how to wake up with really great ideas. And Nicolene has a method of tapping into a source of creativity that we all have, that are our dreams, and how to leverage our sleeping state for more creativity when we are awake. Welcome, Nicolene. Hey, Nick. It's so great to be here. Thank you for that introduction. That's awesome. Yeah, I just had to do that. You know, I was this morning at a meeting for entrepreneurs and startups. And towards the end, I was like, oh, I have to go. I have a podcast episode that I have to record. I need to prepare for that. So naturally, one of the guys asked me, oh, you have a podcast. Who's your guest? And I mentioned that. And the giggling started. And as in, oh, yeah, dreams. Oh, you're that kind of person. Oh, that's cute. Um, Yeah, right. And I was just like, oh, what the fuck, man? I get it. Dreaming is considered as a very childish thing to do. It always carries the notion or the attachment of being naive. And that is why I usually don't talk about my dreams. But ever since I met you, you gave me vocabulary to actually tackle the topic and to make people understand that there's so much more behind it than just the either or of those two opposite parties. Let's call them parties. (laughs) That's a good way to call it. I think you're onto something. That is kind of my mission. I wish I would have been in that meeting. I would have killed because I actually like that challenge. When people uh, come to me and say, well, dreams, that's nonsense. I get what they're coming from Um, because you're right. There's, if you just Google dreams online right now, there's this very interesting 
divide between tons of websites that's, that say, oh, if you dream about a cat, it means that. Or if you dream about a horse, it means that. And you're thinking, really? Would it? Would it for everyone in the world? That seems unlikely, maybe. What if you hate cats? What if you love cats? Wouldn't that be a different kind of dream? But okay. And then at that point, but okay. People just usually stop thinking this is something to take seriously. And I'm kind of on board with that. I like that. That is critical thinking that I'm up for because I don't take it seriously like that either. But then there's the other side um, where you see all these websites with these really like huge theories of what it would mean if you dream about your dead grandma. And then it becomes, like you said, almost like a spiritual metaphysical thing. I'm so for it, but it's not what I do. What I do personally in my life is very simple. Two things. I love explaining how um, the sleeping brain works to people, not because I am a neuroscientist, but I'm such a nerd. I, I read tons of research. And you have no idea how much literal physical research has been done on the sleeping brain. It's amazing. And how much psychology research has been done on brains. Um, one of the really forefront people that I'm a fan of is a Harvard scientist. His name is Robert Stickgold, and he's a neurologist. And he's been studying dreams his entire life. And he's noticed that it actually makes sense that we wake up with a new idea because we don't just process information in sleep. We also start completely reconnecting things in ways that we actually can't do in the day because we're not that focused. We're not that free-flowing. We really need to pay attention to our kids, uh, our life, uh, maybe not walk into trees. But when we're asleep, our brains can completely let go, not just process everything that we've seen in the day, but actually start working with it. So if you have to study for a test, the smartest thing to do if you're cramped on time is read it once and then sleep on it. You will remember better, but you're also better to able to apply that information in your own unique way because your brain starts to make new connections with it. Stickgold calls it exploring possibilities, which I think is a really fun way to say it. And he says that's not the function of dreaming, but it's one of the functions. It's one of the many things that we do, but it is the thing that I am such a fan of. Because, Nick, you know, most people don't know about this. And I'm thinking, how useful is it? But also, how would it change our lives if we know that sleeping isn't just a waste of time, that you get rested until you wake up and you can do things again, but that sleeping is actually a very productive state of mind, where if you don't have it, it's not just that you can't remember things, it's also that you don't get yourself ready for the next day with new visions of it, new ideas, new angles, new ways to look at it. My grandma always said, you know, honey, why don't you just sleep on it? You will, you will find a new way to look at the problem in the morning. And I used to think that's because in the morning I'm now rested, you know, rested neurons, rested brain. Now I can look at the problem. But actually, so neurology says, no, 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 that new perspective, you were literally doing that while you're asleep. When you wake up, it's ready to go. Now, that yeah. is the part that I want to tap into. So me being a creative person, when I went to university, I had a really great professor and he always said that when it comes to design and technology and seeing the future, everybody wants to be a visioneer, right? And that's the title. If you are the next Steve Jobs, the next Elon Musk, and that is what a lot of people get very attracted to, right? And my professor always said, there is not really such a thing as innovation. If you can think of it, if you can imagine something even if it's not buildable as such, if that idea came into your mind, it's because you put two and two together subconsciously and you probably heard something or read something, let's say, in biology about nanoorganisms 
and you happen to be in technology and days, weeks, years later, you make the connection of, oh, in biology, that can happen on such a nano level. That must be possible in technology. So human created, how can we use that process, right? How can we do that? So innovation is just putting two and two together before you actually know how to. And I love that as one interpretation of creativity, because if you can imagine it, it's buildable, it's feasible, maybe not right now, but the solution is already there. Yeah, I do like that. Um, I want to add to that. I know the theory very well, but what I'm also thinking, and I'm not just talking about sleep, but in the day as well, that we put two and two together as humans, sometimes in ways that no one else in the world has done before. And that's where sometimes real inspiration strikes. When people, because we're all our unique selves with our all with our unique feelings, and that plays a huge part in creativity, just how you feel about things, but also your your unique experiences. So I'm also thinking, it there is instances when we are just you know doing what everybody else is doing, but a lot of times, especially when I work with clients and we go like real deep, um, and and really like tap into that uh, slumbering uh, genius creativity that we all have, then sometimes I notice people putting things together in a way that I'm thinking I have literally never heard someone say that before. And now yeah. you're being your full self and making hundred percent use of your creativity. And that's why I'm getting really alive. Absolutely. So you're the person who knows the science. So I guess we all know what the purpose of dreaming is. So the most common understanding is it's a storing event, right? While we sleep, we store the events and the experience that we had and we anchor them in emotions. How did we feel about it? As well as in conclusions. What does that tell me? Like, what information are we filtering? And that then becomes our memories. I know that there are signs that people that don't sleep cannot make memories. And it's really disturbing. It's messing up their lives. But what is the purpose of remembering our dreams or that storing process? Does that question even make sense? It really, really does. And I'll tell you how much sense it makes. Since the 1950s, um, dreams have been seriously, I mean, seriously studied at universities all over the world. I'm not even kidding. There's a scientific paper um, by the American Psychology Association that is literally called Dreaming because it only publishes studies on dreams. And this question, what is the purpose of even the activity of dreaming, but then remembering your dream? Is there even a purpose? Is there a benefit to it? That is a big question get scientists in a room together, which they do, there's conferences, and they will almost literally fight you because everybody has their own ideas. This is hard because I'll tell you why it's so hard, Nick. Um, we humans have minds, right? We think all the day through. We can't help it. Like, try and stop yourself thinking. That's going to be fun. And there's always like this background thinking going on as well. And especially when we just, you know, sit down with a cup of tea and start thinking about nothing, then actually our brains are start working overtime. That's when ideas start popping up. It's called, by the way, the default mode network's really fun. Um, when you're doing nothing, your brain gets time to really start working. And boy, does it. So when you're out yeah. for a run or, you know, laying in bed lazy, not really thinking about anything or standing in the shower, that's when your default mode network is really active and you get new ideas. Anyway, we never stop thinking, not even when we're asleep. There's a whole idea that when we fall asleep, our brain sort of goes on the back burner and then in the morning fires up again, apart from some dreams. Not true at all. Brain stays as active through the night as it does in the day, but on a different level. 
there's a shift in neurotransmitters more towards connectivity and creativity, more towards storing long-term memories, but also working with those memories. Here's the thing. If you start to see that our brain activity never stops and that our brain activity is actually in sleep remarkably similar as in dreams, what I mean is if you see a person or if you dream of a person or if you think about a person, your facial recognition centers are going to light up just the same whether you're asleep or whether you're awake. Pretty similar, right? But that makes your question harder because now we're not asking what is dreaming. Now we're actually asking what is thinking when we're asleep? What is thinking? Oh my God, Nick, don't get, I, I have no idea. But it also means that it's probably not just memories connecting with new memories. There's probably a whole lot more going on. It's just really hard to measure what people are thinking, especially when they're asleep. That doesn't answer your question, but it's the best answer I got right now. <laughs> yeah, follow-up question. We all know that we have different sleep phases. So I assume we have, according to the phases, different kinds of dreams. Is that true? Yeah, and that's also really interesting because brain scans are amazing because there now starts to be a little bit more light on it and uh, on, on what, we're, what our brains are even doing when we're asleep and why it's so important, why we feel so crappy when we don't get enough sleep. One of the really interesting things about that is that we mostly dream the most creative things, the ones that we, the th- dreams that we remember in REM sleep. Um, but we also have dreams outside of REM sleep, but they're different of nature. And um, the difference is that in dreams outside of REM sleep, if you wake a person up at that moment and ask, okay, what's going, going on in your mind right now? They usually are talking about things that happen during the day or sort of where you can really see, okay, this is memories being processed. Interesting. When you wake people up in the middle of REM sleep and you ask them, okay, tell me what's going on in your mind right now, then it's more super creative stories, things that go nowhere or anywhere, really weird connections being made. So that's when things really get creative, which leads to the consensus right now that REM sleep is the most creative state of mind um, when it comes to your sleep. But there's a little thing that's, uh, that you need to know about that, is that REM sleep, the creative dream storming part, is not equally divided throughout the night. So say you sleep for eight hours and the first hours you'll have a lot of deep sleep because you're tired, your body needs to rest and it's just a itty bitty bit of REM sleep. Um, And every 90 minutes there starts a new sleep cycle with first deep sleep and then REM sleep. And every sleep cycle, the amount of deep sleep decreases and the amount of REM sleep increases. So the last hours of your imaginary eight hour nights, like I would make eight hour nights, I I wish, But the last hours, you're going to have almost all REM sleep, especially when there's no alarm clock to cut off that process, which means, and this is something that I was super happy about when people told it to me. If you sleep in, ditch the alarm clock, it's Saturday morning, you can sleep as much as you like. That's when your brain gets to be creative. Now, why do we have brainstorm meetings really early in the morning when we could just ask people, hey, how about everybody sleep in? And give me your first ideas in the morning because your most creative thinking time is going to happen in that amazing time when we get to sleep in. Nick, I'm reading this. I'm reading the science about it. I'm reading different papers and more scientific papers. I'm talking to psychologists and to neuroscientists. And I'm thinking, how doesn't everyone know about this? Because this is a superpower and I'm going to learn how to use it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. You know, that ties in with my own very personal experience. So here it goes. I am a lucid dreamer. Not all the time, but when I'm working on a high creativity project, 
and it's not my project. I work on a client's project, for example, and it's getting me excited. So I'm emotionally evolved, but not emotionally attached, right? I can go to sleep and I, a lucid dreamer, which means I can be awake inside my dreams and then test out stuff. Because, you know, as a visual creative person, like I can look at the floor plan and instantly envision myself how the 3D space would look like or how it would feel like. Because I've studied this and that's my thinking process. And in my dreams, I can literally try out things. So the things that I wasn't sure about in my design process during the day, it's like, should we move a wall? I can do that literally in my dreams. And I can try out things willingly. So the things that I've basically discussed during my wake time, I can try them out in my dreams. But I can also let go and say like, whoa, okay, what would be a really weird thing to do? Or like, how can we, how can I detach from logic, right? And then I can, I can be playful. I can watch whatever my brain comes up like a movie or, you know, say like, oh, let, no, that's fun. Let's try this out. Like, you know, make this oversized. Or what if there's a lot of very little minuscule, I don't know, whatever, right? And it's like being in an interactive game. And I enjoy this process very much. And then I wake up and I write down or make sketches of what I really liked. And even if it's not feasible, if it's not buildable, because let's say we have architecture restrictions, but I like the effect, then I can go and really consciously engineer of how I could get this effect that would be really cool because I already saw it. How can I get that anyways in, right? And so I use dreaming as a practice of my creativity. Almost like a virtual reality, the way you describe it, right? Yeah, it, it feels very much like that. Yeah. Like if you've ever seen the movie Inception, I remember when that came out, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what's happening. Like I can fold stuff and I can have fun because the moment you know that you're safe and this is a dream and there is no limits, it just becomes fun. And let's see what happens. So yeah, now, so I was just going to say, like, I know how to work in my dreams. I literally get work done in my dreams. But what you do is a little bit different, right? You work with dreams. So what's the difference there? Yeah, it is different um, in the sense that you are lucid dreaming. For those who don't know it, it's a very interesting brain state because your brain is super active, as it is in dreams anyway, super creative, as it is in dreams anyway, right? But, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Um, usually, when most people are dreaming, there's a part of the brain, it's called the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, and that is a part that always lights up in brain scanners when we're being logical, when we feel like we have control over our environment, when we make decisions, like, I'm going to do this now, I'm going to do that now. Now, everybody who's ever been dreaming knows that you don't feel like it's a dream even, you, you don't feel like super in control. That's because that part, it sits in the forefront of our heads. That is one of the very few parts of our brain that gets a break when we're asleep. So usually when you're not in a, what's called a lucid dream, um, when you don't feel like you have control over the dream, your control parts gets a break. You're not steering anymore. Your emotions are completely fired up and you have all this creative thinking going on. So that's a moment where you can really completely freely without any restrictions, totally go for it. Make the weirdest connections, connect back to your emotions. Uh, dreams are very emotionally driven. And you know, so are nightmares by the way, because you know, then it goes in overdrive, then something really wants to be heard. Whatever is going on, 
is going to get real in your dreams because your emotion centers are so big and your creativity is so big. But then people who are lucid dreamers, now that dorsolateral prefrontal cortex part suddenly on brain scans starts lighting up again. So that means you have a sort of hybrid state where you're not awake, but you feel awake so you can steer and make decisions. But you're also in that amazingly creative state. Now, about 20% of people will be good at lucid dreaming. Um, not my stata. It's been researched. That means 80% of people can try all they want, but maybe it's just too much effort to use dreams that intensely. That's the people that I work with because you have this amazing process. Whatever else you're doing in dreaming, you're also going to generate new ideas. And then you wake up with, I think I dreamt of a horse or something, and you don't get it. Yeah. Which is a skill. Translating that one way of thinking to daily thinking is a skill, and we don't get taught it in school. So that's where I come in. That's where I help people. I help people how to focus their nightly thinking, how to focus all of this. Uh, because, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, if I don't set myself a task for the day, things don't get done. So if you really want to think about a, a problem, better ask yourself a real question. And then I help harvest the answers and translate, okay, weird dream about horse to wait a minute. It's a metaphor for something, super gems inside. Now we've unpacked it. Now I get it. Then we've translated this um, one way of sort of subconscious thinking to um, the more practical thinking that we do in the day. If you make the connection, now you know what we're talking about it. Now you can use it. So if I get this right, I just recorded another episode with Raphael and we talked about the triangle of inspiration, motivation, and creativity and how for many people, when we talk to them, inspiration seems like this gift. It's just random and it fired you up you got inspired you wanted to know more so i define inspiration as exposure to a new point of view of a topic that we already know a topic or a problem so you have a habit of thinking about something in a certain way and then somebody offers you another angle and you're like oh i never thought about it wow and then you get more into it and it's that theoretical work which at then some point translates into motivation because motivation is about moving and it gets you like, oh, now I want to try out. So the theory needs to be applied. And when you've done motivation, so the trying part for long enough, then usually people start to get creative because during the trying part, you build the capability, the skill, the confidence of, okay, I did the trying part, how other people do it by their recipe book. Now I have enough confidence to try what if I write my own recipe? Can I try? Can I swap out things and do them differently? And that's when we fall into creativity. And a lot of people think, oh, you are either creative or you are not. And I had this conversation so with, with Raphael who made the point, and it's also my belief, that creativity is a skill. And what many people think is a chain reaction. It starts with inspiration, motivation, creativity is more of a circle because the more inspired you get, the more motivated you get, the more motivated you get, the more trust you have to get creative and try out something new, which then brings you usually back to inspiration of something else, right? You, you see another thing under another point of view. But what you do is basically <laughs> the whole process, um, I don't want to say backwards, it sounds so negative, but you start at the other end. So you start with something super creative that gets people to be motivated, and then eventually change their thought pattern around the problem. 
Is that correct? Yeah, no, that is what I do. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that you say that the, the, it works different with, with the clients that I work with, with the circle. Usually it starts with a problem, like we're stuck on something. And that could be as simple as do I take this job or that job, which I'm saying it's simple, but it's not really like that simple. That could change your life, right? Which job you take or yeah. should I, I'm stuck on this project. I feel like I'm missing something, but I don't know what, and I keep getting stuck. Why am I keep getting stuck? It's like a real life question. Those are the kinds of clients that come to me because they're like, okay, I know you can get me new insights, get me unstuck. Fantastic. Because those are amazing questions to sleep on when your normal thinking just doesn't get there. I mean, there's so many ways to brainstorm, but brainstorming in your sleep is going to probably at least give you some insight on what you're stuck on or why you're asking this question in the first place and what's so important about it, um, which can keep me, people moving. So we start with sort of a block and then we distill a question out of it. Now we know exactly what you want to know. And then the next morning, or maybe People take four or five days to sleep on a problem if, if they want to just like really full go for it. We don't judge the results. It could be as weird as you want. I don't care. We're just going to unpack it and see what's there. Um, and it's very interesting because that usually starts with stuck, then moves immediately to inspiration. You're going to get these insights out of our conversation. Um, I've, I mean, I say you're going to as though it's a promise, but I've, I just never had it not happen. Um, mm -hmm. And then with those insights comes, usually I see it in people's eyes, comes the motivation of, wait a minute, that is absolutely true. That is exactly what's going on. That is exactly where I'm getting stuck. That was the thing that I wasn't seeing. That was the thing that I maybe even didn't think about when I tried to decide which job. Maybe it's neither. Maybe it's something completely else. But then from that insight comes the motivation to, okay, now I know what to do. So Actually, people give themselves inspiration while they're sleeping, and then that leads to insight, and then that leads to motivation. And then when I, then I don't see them again for a while, and I ask a follow-up, like, was the problem solved? And they're like, oh, yeah, but you have no idea how. It's totally different. And because there's movement again. You, you get going. You have something tangible. I don't let people leave my conversations without an, a real action plan of, okay, how are you going to apply that now? So the doing is sort of the end of the process. It's almost like... Oh yeah, all I have to do is do it now. Fantastic. I got this. We go. So the motivation is usually where I leave people. Right. That ties into the very first point that I made about the listener having checking their attitude. There is a whole lot of people who treat dreaming like it's like some cutesy but rather bullshit approach to yeah, whatever you want to call it. But in our pre-chat, you said it there is a part in your work where you need to make sure that we don't bullshit ourselves. And that is A, in the process, is the person that is coming to you with a problem bullshitting themselves? <laughs> and then also, literally the brain, so the dreaming part, the creativity part, is when we stop bullshitting, right? Because we don't listen to logic. Logic is just experience and what other people told us, like conditioning of, oh, logically, this has to be like this and like that. But what we usually believed to be logic or, you know, science or evidence-based can a few years later be proven wrong. So yeah, do you want to speak on that, on the on the part? I really like that. Let's don't bullshit ourselves when it comes to dreaming. Completely. I, I mean, first of all, uh, I, I always love it when people call me out on my own bullshit. So like I tell myself stories all the time. No, no, I really want this dress because blah, 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 blah. No, you want a dress because you want it. Okay. Not because blah, blah, blah. That's just excuses we make to justify our intuitive choices. And, um, and I personally 
think that most of the choices that we make aren't really based on logic. That's usually to explain the choices. Most of the choices that we make are based on feelings. And that could be prejudice. That could be uh, really true feelings. That, that could be so much going on. But I feel that if we know the true basis of our choices, the real feelings behind it, it's so much easier to make the right choices and to discover where you're bullshitting yourself. So you asked about my process. I do this in two ways. First of all, I start with usually an hour conversation that sounds long, just about the question that a person asks, because it's a garbage in garbage out kind of process. If you ask yourself the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer because you're going to get the answer to the question that you legitimately said you would work on. So get the right question first. Don't, don't start mm -hmm. answering the wrong questions. And that is harder than you think because I speak to people on Zoom. And I'm pretty good at looking at body language. I train myself. So if a person is sort of vague and bullshitty about it, I'm going to call you out, okay? We will get to the core question at the end. So that's the one bullshit tackling thing that I do. And I work with people who love it because, you know, why, why else would you work with me? Then the second part is really interesting because our logic thinking unless you're a lucid dreamer, but let's say you're not, or you let that go for a second, because your logical thinking is turned off when you're asleep, but your emotions are so active. That is where things are going to get really real. If there's emotions about something, like I really should take this job, or I really do hate my boss, uh, or I really, like whatever's going on is going to come up in dreams. There's just no way around it. Probably not literally, probably wrapped up in a really funny metaphor, but that's my job to unpack. That's fine. Yeah. So we have a no bullshit environment by design. That's just humans. And then people wake up, come to me with the dreams. We unpack them. Usually there's some actual insights in there. And the dream about the spider actually meant that you do hate your job. Um, not that dreams about spiders mean that you hate your job. I'm just talking about one specific person in one specific instant, not the person who works in the zoo with spiders and actually loves their job. But then comes the second layer of bullshitting because we as humans are so trained to think in a certain way. Um, it has happened that I just worked with someone with, who had a dream about every time I'm trying to not get into the water, but I read somewhere in a book that water stands for emotion, which it doesn't. Does that mean that I don't want to get in the water? We unpacked the entire dream. She was like, oh no, it actually means in the dream, the water is not that important. The most important part is where my friends are like, oh, come on, get in. And I don't want to, because you know what? The peer pressure of my friends is getting to me. I don't know what to do about it. Now we're talking about something real. And every time in the dream, it plays out. Friends want to go swimming. She doesn't. Friends want to go uh, dipping into the pool. She doesn't. Um, friends are like, oh, come on, come on. It's fun. She was just on her way to a job interview and now they're messing with her hair like every single time. So now we know, okay, there's something real going on here. We unpack it. What could you do about it? We talk about strategies. We even use the dream as a metaphor in, okay, you have this useful metaphor. Let's play with it a little bit like you do when you explore new options in design. Um, in this particular case, uh, the woman started to play with, what if I Every time my friends are like, oh, come on, come on, just take a few steps back physically in the dream. Then they wouldn't think that all I needed was a little push. Then they would think maybe she really doesn't want to. You know what? I say one thing, but my, my, just my body language, my physical activity says one thing. And oh, you know what? That is exactly what I do in real life. When the coworkers are like, oh, one more beer, come on. I don't get up and get my coat. So of course, everybody thinks I want to stay. This is not peer pressure. This is mm. me not being clear. Wow, insight. Okay, at that point, usually it happens that that insight bubbles up 
but there's bullshit comes in. In this case, it was, yeah, maybe I should stand up for myself better. Maybe I should just say it more loudly. And that's where I say, you literally just said that that wasn't the problem. You literally just said it's about you need to get up and go. If you said, I'm going to get up and go and just do the thing that you say you're going to do. You yeah. literally just told me that that's the problem. And now you're still trying to tell yourself, maybe I should just say it louder. That was not the problem in the dream. That was not the problem in the solution that we came up. So why is that so important? And then we talk about that some more. Yeah. Because I want yeah. to leave you with a real action plan, not with, uh, okay, maybe I can do this. Okay, maybe I can do that. I want to give like, I want to get to real solutions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally see it like this. So the no bullshit part of our dreams is really that there is no reasoning away from whatever you do as a behavior in real life as a coping me mechanism. For some people, it's people pleasing, right? There's nobody to please in your dreams. There is some people want to impress others. There's nobody to impress. It's just you and your brain. And you do play out a lot of your own behavior, like in the dream uh, that the woman had, it li she literally played out the behavior that she had in sort of this, I don't want to go swimming metaphor, which in real life had never happened. Yeah, but that yeah, was sort no. of a way of visualizing. But that's what I do all the time. So it's not that we are suddenly these really Zen people who know everything. It's more that is a space where for whatever reason, we get super real with ourselves. And I think neurologically, it makes sense because our emotions are active. Our memories are active. Just the part where we can reason things away. Oh no, I can really, I really like stress. Actually, I've performed better under stress. Oh no, but I really love him. He's so great with the kids as well. That part shuts up for a while. And that is yeah. gold because tapping into that can give you real insights. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I always like to say your creativity is your responsibility. So don't don't tell me, don't bullshit me <laughs> that you are not creative. Like we all dream. And, you know, it is hard though, Nick. I once struggled with a relationship. I really liked this man. Oh my God, I liked him so much. Mm. And in my dreams, I kept having a song playing in my head because that happens too. It's not always visual. And the yeah. song over and over had the lyrics, you gotta let him go. I was like, oh, shut up. I don't want to yeah, hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. it's true, but I don't want to hear it. So it's, mm. it's not always the funnest message. But it is the real message that you're giving yourself. Yeah. I just want to go back for the listeners one more time. You kind of already said that just now, but I just want to go back to that and just stress how important that is. So the two of us, we met on Clubhouse as well, where you had a room about dreamstorming, your topic. And I remember one lady asking the question of... Yeah, 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 well, wait a second. Okay, so if it's not completely woo-woo and it's not completely super academic, logical, neither, like I can come up with, I can find solutions in my dreams. Wait a second. How do I know that I can trust myself, right? My thoughts, my brain with whatever comes up. And for me, it just, just struck me. Like I have never thought about trusting my dreams, right? Maybe it's because I'm using them differently and I'm a creative person. So what you actually asked was um, how much truth is there to our dreams? And just as you said in your examples before, there is always a grain of truth, but there's a whole lot of packaging around it. And for me, dreams are not about finding the truth. For me, dreams are really about finding an alternative, another option, more variety, more intensity, less intensity, right? So all the things that I do not think of because I am so stuck in a certain behavior or thought pattern or cultural expectations, whatever it might be, that I, I don't think 
that this can be done differently. Oh, this room, there's solution A or there's solution B. Maybe there's solution C, but the scope is very limited. So yeah, the, the whole question of truth and trust and maybe people also asking to defend your idea, right? When you had an idea that came to you in a dream, it sounds silly to say it out loud. And then how did you come up with this? And how do you reason yourself into the the structure of the thought patterns that are so different because we were asleep? That's a really good one. I have a great example with that. Um, I'm going to address your first question first uh, because it's a it's a big one. And it comes back to in the beginning where you said people have basically two ways of thinking about dreams. And what I hear a lot, um, from, especially from people who do take dreams seriously, and I love it, is this idea of there's sort of a message from your higher self. And I like it in one way, but I have a problem with it in another way, which is that I think we humans, whether we awake or asleep, have so many layers to us. And when we have, let's say you're awake and you're standing and all of a sudden you have this amazing insight. Did you create that insight? Was it a message from God? Was it a message from a higher power that you believe in? Was it a message from your higher self? Was it just neurons connecting and suddenly you have a new insight? That is a hard question to answer. And it might be different answers at different moments in our lives. Yeah. We all have had those strokes of insight and you think, where does it come from? Is it me or is it outside? This is a question that has no answer in the day. It has no answer in sleep as well because we can't measure that. Um, but what I do feel is that layeredness, we can have thoughts about, okay, I have to have toothpaste, but we, or we can have these really deep thoughts about uh, the world and the environment and what, or amazing insights, or we can come up with a business idea, so many ways of thinking, and then we fall in love. And that's way, another way of thinking again. So that variety doesn't seem to stop when we fall asleep, actually it becomes even more wide. So then it doesn't become messages versus thoughts. Like in a day you have thoughts and in 90 of messages, that makes no sense. Then you would suddenly shrink and shrivel in your and have lose all of that amazing brain power. No brain scan says that that happens. Basically, yeah, logical thinking takes a backseat, but the rest, whoa, fall on. So that means if you start seeing it as we are fully our human selves, whether we are awake or asleep, um, then it becomes way more nuanced. And then it's more, what do you get out of it for me? Um, I know colleagues of mine who are absolutely really focused on those aspects of dreams that are more metaphysical. A colleague of mine works in uh, teaching nurses and caretakers to work with people who are very close to death in, and dying in uh, care homes. And they usually get very unusual dreams. And what do you say to that? How can you use those dreams to create connection with their loved ones, to create a feeling of I'm heard and understood? And she has amazing stories. It's fantastic. Not my job. Um, as with the day, you can only focus on one part of the amazing human mind at the time because there's so much. And I focus on how do we get insights from all of this processing. Um, now, then you come to the second part of your question of no one goes to work and says, I have this amazing idea. People are interested. And it came to me in a dream. People stop listening. So the, and it came to me in a dream part. No one talks about but I will tell you this funny story, Deirdre Barrett, she's also at Harvard in Massachusetts, and she published a book, it's called The Committee of Sleep, really fun book, where she just gathered examples of people who have found insights or new ideas, literally in a dream. She goes literal, I go more metaphorical, she goes literal. And one of her examples is one of my favorites, because um, it's so unexpected. I don't know if you know DuPont, uh, they make fabrics, and yeah. uh, they make Kevlar. Uh, for bulletproof vests. Yes. 
And during the Gulf War, they were asked, please amp up your production as much as you can, because we're going to need them. Mm-hmm. So they had the, their machines of making the fabric fired up super high, super high. Now, what I don't know about Kevlar until I read the example was you need lots of water to make it for some reason. I don't care. Um, and the machines kept breaking down. That, that is, they kept jamming. But then the minute they stopped them and started taking them apart, couldn't find the problem. And every moment that that happened, there was no production, which means there was uh, no Kevlar made, which means there was hundreds of thousands of dollars being lost per minute. Mm -hmm. So all the engineers were in a frenzy. And one of the engineers solved the problem in a dream. That is, he saw in his sleep, he saw like, like it was inside of the machine, water everywhere, hoses that that water goes through, like these rubber hoses everywhere. And he saw metal springs. He had no idea what it meant, but he had done a seminar on how to get creativity out of your dreams. So he woke up, wrote down water, hoses, springs. I don't know. I'll think about it more in the morning. And he went back to sleep. And in the morning, he looked at his notes. And at first, they didn't make any sense. But he didn't dismiss it because it seemed so nonsensical. He just sat with it for a little bit longer and thought, what does that make me think of? So first of all, those rubber hoses. Yeah, that's true. We use them. Second of all, lots of water pumps through them at really high speeds, way higher than this machine is actually designed for. So what is the use of these metal springs? Like, you know, you, like you have in a ballpoint pen or in, in, your, in an old-fashioned bed. Yeah. And it, it occurred to him all of a sudden that if you drink water through a straw, but you put a really lot of power behind it, the straw closes up because of the sheer pressure. And what if that also happened with the hoses? But the minute they stop the machine, of course, they veer back into the original space. So no one noticed. What if we put metal springs inside of them so they can't close up because of the pressure of the water going through it? That would totally solve the problem, if that is the problem. Mm-hmm. So he went back. He was not stupid. He did not say anything about his dream. So he said, how about we try this? And the whole team said, that's ridiculous. That will never work. Of course, that's not the problem. So at the end of the day, when nothing else worked and they were in the, okay, we'll try anything mode, they put his stupid springs in and lo and behold, that, that was the problem. It worked. Now, is it because he was smarter when he was asleep? Or is it because as an engineer, he just hadn't looked at it from that angle and in sleep he could, like we never know, he didn't know, but he did know that it was a very practical problem. He saved millions of dollars by solving it, but he didn't dare tell anyone except for Professor Barrett when she asked him that it actually had been a dream. And that's where I come in, Nick. That's where I'm saying we are leaving real money on the table by not taking our own brain processes seriously. And I want to fix that. I want to teach everyone how to do this. Right. Yeah, it brings me back to what my professor said about putting two and two together, right? Two unrelated solutions to unrelated problems. You know, (laughs) one and one becomes three. When I look back now here at my list of the areas of life where most clients face complications, some kind of hurdles in their process of change, courage is one that is on my list. And in my case, when I work with my people is not daring to be bold enough. And going for the struggle of change, wanting to do something else. If we stay in the example now, I don't just do interior design. I help people with making life work for them abroad. But when we start at home, okay, what's one thing that we can tackle? And it's a good example that that people can understand. So you go through this phase of, okay, you decided you're going to change. The changing part is the renovation part. And you put 100% of effort into it and it costs you so many inconvenience. It is a struggle, but you're working on it. Would you do all of that for just an incremental change of a little bit better? 
No, usually when you ask people that, it's like, no, if I'm going to do all this work, I'm going to change and I'm going to change my habits and I'm going to do this. And then I want to have a massive change. But that requires to make a decision of courage. Now, I was wondering if that relates to your work as well. I could imagine that people need to be emotionally courageous to say like, okay, I'm going to give this a try and be open to the fact as we said before, that I might be bullshitting myself. What I think is the problem is not a problem. It's just a symptom of something much deeper. So I was wondering how that topic speaks to you and what you do. Oh, yeah. I work with some badass people. Like, I'm, I'm super lucky. Um, because the minute people hear me speak and, and talk about the way I approach this process and actively encourage people to get more out of their own creative minds and to really like tap into their inner selves and figure out, okay, how else can I, what is blocking me? How else can I use this? Then we're talking about actual real courage. That's absolutely true. And I do meet people sometimes who really aren't ready for that. They just want to tell me what the weird dream means. Uh, or they, they want me to tell them, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Because there's a certain like soul searching part about it where you don't know what you're going to find. And if if, if you don't want that and you just want to know, no, 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 I dreamt of a cat. What does it mean? Because I actually want you to just tell me and not do the work. You're not my client. Because I don't know. I mean, there's tons of people who do that, more power to them. But I'm super interested in, in the real stuff because that's where also the real change happens. But you're absolutely right. It's, it's a process of courage. It is when I do it in my own life. Um, and it's scary sometimes. This is why we ask each other for help. Um, and also there's a certain readiness for it. I think if someone's listening right now and they're like, oh, I'm not ready for that, that is okay. Like, I'm not always diving into my deep self every single day. Please, no, I would go insane. But when I'm really stuck on something and I don't know why or when I really need this new insight and I don't know why I'm not getting it, now that's when I ask for help. That's when I'm like, okay, let, let, me, let me get someone who is, will completely blow all of my covers and make me see the real me, please. And I love working with people who, who are ready for that because then we speak the same language. But I've got to be honest, I'm not always ready for that every single day of my life at all. I'm a coward at heart. I would rather just sit there and be comfortable and then do nothing. But that's just not how movement works. It's not where I get my energy from. And uh, yep, sometimes I just got to get out there and do it or figure out what the real reason is why I'm not doing it and maybe what I need right now rather than just pushing myself because that's also real courage. Yeah, no, this is well said. I have nothing to add. <laughs> um, I have another question. So another area is always time. Like, how fast do I get a return of my investment? How long will that take? You know, people are very practical about this. But maybe it's, it's again, a little bit meta. But I feel like the whole process of working in your dreams and with your dreams it's just a suspension of time. Like I had this feeling yesterday. I went to the library here in Malmo, which is a beautiful building. And I remembered how I felt as a kid about libraries, like how it's this magic place. And somehow time flows differently inside a library. Like you have a schedule in the day. And then when you are in a library, time is suspended. Everything is calm. Everybody's working on something it goes against the laws of libraries to be hurried, right? Everybody is just working quietly and it's this peaceful place. And I feel like working with and in your dreams is a little bit like that. Like you, you are defeating time. And from what I gathered from your process is you work with your clients 
you find a question and then they have to do the work through several nights, like go back and forth, go back and forth. And you work very intensely, but rather short amounts of time. And then also because our notion of time in dreams is so suspended, it's really weird. It, like this, yeah, it's, it's like defeating time. And then you are making a decision now about a question that you will answer later while you sleep. And then later you go back. So it's this looping back and forward and back. And what do I do with it? And it's just, yeah, it's just playing with time. And it, um, <laughs> I don't know, I think we can make a movie out of that again. I don't know, the butterfly effect just backwards. I don't know. Also, I never thought about it like that. When you think about time for me, um, I'm actually mostly thinking about efficiency because no one gets enough sleep these days. And um, then we're also having sometimes all these issues to solve. And now science has found a way that we can do it both at the same time. And actually, my grandma already knew that. So I'm like, whoa, this is a time saver of anything else. I'm going to go for it. But I do hear what you're saying, because most of the people that I work with, because we work together, we're creating this amazing focus. Like I make I'm, I'm going to make you I'm going to make you focus on the question, like make sure that it's a real question. And, you know, don't ask the wrong question in my, in my presence, you know, and then make you focus on the answer and think about what you're going to do with it. So it's a very condensed process. I'm totally not a psychologist. I'm, I'm trained as a coach, but I have had people say to me, like, years of therapy and I didn't get there because we're so focused and so condensed of the process. And I'm not guaranteeing creative, amazing, fantastic insights that are going to save you years of therapy. But I'm also not saying it won't happen because, because you're so focused on on this one aspect. Yeah. Now, if this one aspect is, uh, okay, what is my clubhouse bio? I ask myself that in the dream because I hate writing. So I just want to wake up with the paragraphs in my head. Please, thank you. Um, of course, there's not going to be deep insights behind there because I just need the literal sentences. Thank you very much. And oh, bullet points. That's a good idea, putting it in. Um, but if the question's deeper, then the insights are usually accordingly. Yeah. So if we go back to the idea that creativity is a practice, then I guess also the boldness in which we approach that creativity. How deep do I want to go? How intense do I want to make this experience? Is also something that we develop over time. Yeah. And I think, you know, that also develops over need. Sometimes you need to go deep, sometimes you don't. And yeah. uh, that there's periods in, your, in our lives when we're really focused on ourselves and other periods when we just need to focus on other things, kids, production. So that's all like, completely fine. Hey, I was wondering, um, do you want some try this at home tips? Yeah, sure. Cool. <laughs> yeah. There are certain things, and obviously you're going to see this online everywhere, but here they mm -hmm. are. First, it's a three-part process, and I feel like I do this with myself at home. I do this with my clients. There's no reason why people can't do it. Um, I have been asked, is there like downsides to this process to deep into your dream so much? 50 years of research says we haven't found any. Um, mm -hmm. So... Asking yourself a question before falling asleep seems to be a pretty safe process and people have been doing it. So I like that. Of course, the downsides come if you don't know what to do with the answer, but that's a different thing. Okay, so three-step process. First, ask yourself a question. Why? Because you focus your mind. Um, there's been research that it really helps to write it down because it focuses your mind further. And some people say, if I really narrow down a good question, like one question with a question mark, and then when before I fall asleep, I actually think about it in a more visual way or just really feel it in my body, then it's all already sort of activating that part of my brain. So it's a better kickstart for the night to come. Brilliant. Do it. Whatever works for you. So you've mm -hmm. asked the question. Then the second part is harvesting the answer. And that could be in any shape or form. Like you said, you have these really visual dreams. 
I usually have wordy dreams. Some people have no dreams. They just wake up with an idea or thoughts or a song in their head. I'm saying when you wake up, there's this sort of precious moment of catching that before the world starts to demand things and you have to get up and do things. Usually I stay in bed. I have physical pen and paper because the phone wakes me up too much. Then I have to actually type, which is different for me. And I write down whatever lives inside of me. I don't care if it's related to the question or not. That's for later. It could be a dream. It could be a song. Sometimes I have a song playing in my head in the morning when I wake up and then I have to look up the lyrics and then I'm like, oh, yeah, those lyrics do make sense. And somehow yeah. in the back of my mind, obviously I know it, but I don't know it in, in, you know, as in my active working memory. So that's also a great way of one scientist said of making post-it notes of this whole brainstorm meeting that was your dreaming. You're never going to remember every single thing of it, but you are going to make notes. And that's what you remember in the morning. And the more you do the focusing on what do I remember? Am I cranky? Am I sad? What's going on inside of me? The more you do that as a habit, the easier it is to start remembering dreams. Turns out when, you know, people who don't remember dreams get trained this way, they usually start remembering dreams. Okay, so now you have done step two. You've captured whatever it is, and it's going to probably make no sense at this point. Um, and then there's step three, and I love step three, which is now, you've, now you're awake. Maybe you've had your coffee. Maybe it's the next day. I don't care. And you look over those notes, and you remember maybe more about it, and you start to reflect. And this is amazing because now your critical thinking can come in. You can think, what does that make me think of? Um, when I read that, does it evoke any feelings? How do I feel about this? And not as in, is it bullshit or not, but like explore it a little bit further, like the guy with du the DuPont um, machine did. It's like, okay, hoses, it doesn't seem to make sense, but what does it make me think of? And then comes the real decision-making, which is, is this an actual useful idea for now? He said yes, and he pitched it, and he pitched it again when people were finally ready to believe him. Sometimes the answer is no, not at all. Or sometimes the answer is not for now. And that's where it comes in your earlier question of, can I trust it when it came to me in a dream? I say, don't trust anything that you're thinking day or night at all. I mean, <laughs> just because you're thinking it doesn't mean you have to immediately do it. What are we like robots? No. Um, yeah. Evaluate, see if this is useful for you, see how you can use it. And, and then you try it out and the whole process starts again. It just brings me back to what I do. And you always said, and we talked about this before, you ask questions and I, my question when I do design work is basically always the same, like, what else have I not thought about, right? So what is another variety of this? So when I look at solutions or answers that are lying in, in variety, then I like to also look at my dreams just from the perspective of observing what else is going on that I would usually ignore. So if you're having a dream of a conversation with a coworker, what is happening around you? Like what is, if you can, can remember, or like for the next time you dream about it, if you go with the same questions in your mind going, you're like, okay, what else do I see? I remember the coworker speaking, but what was going on in the background? Where was I in the dream? The, what was the, the situation, the circumstances? And that usually helps me then answer a lot of question that just like in the waking time, when we're having a conversation, I'm so focused on you and what you answer. And it was my next question that sometimes we forget that there is a whole world happening in the background. Yeah, so true. Like all the things we see from the corner of our eyes, we don't even register in the moment, but they're stored there. And, and definitely that is what pops up in dreams. I noticed that as well. You know what else I like about what you're saying, Nick? It's mm -hmm. the fact that you ask open questions. 
and that you ask questions about yourself. Um, the Deirdre Barrett, who I mentioned before, uh, her research uh, shown that if it's a question that you care about, I don't. If you care about math, it could be a question about math, but like something that you at least have some interest in, it's successful. But then with asking questions, um, I've learned that it's also really successful if we ask questions that we have a certain power over and that are not yes and no questions, but open questions. Like, does he love me? Not a good question to ask. First of all, uh, that's kind of up to him, not up to you. Yeah. Second, it's a yes or no question. So your dream doesn't have, like, now you have a brainstorm space and you're asking yes or no questions. That seems to make no sense to me. Um, a brainstorm space is coming up with possible options. So set yourself up for success and ask a question that is an open question. But also, if you really want to set yourself up for success, ask a question where you can use the answer. So does he love me? Yeah, well, you know where you don't. But a good question could be, why does it matter? How do I really feel about him? What am I missing uh, in the interaction? Um, another question could be, um, what makes this so important in my life right now? What am I looking for in a relationship? And does he even compare? Now we're talking about you, and that's going to give a more actionable answer usually, because you're not in charge of other people, but you're yeah, own. Yeah. And also when you speak about actionable, I like to go to bed with the thinking of what do I want to do with the answer once I have it, right? As you said, like, does he love me? Does he not? It's just, uh, it's black and white. And okay, are you then wiser? A, you don't know because it's up to him. And B, so what's this answer going to get you? So we talked about this before. If we talk about inspiration, motivation, and creativity, the doing part is important. Like, what do you want to do with the answer once you have it? Because there's so much more satisfaction involved if that is something that you can then handle, manipulate, act on, and then adjust. Because again, change is about doing things differently. And if the change is dependent on somebody else taking action, then the whole frustration sets in again. So what do you want to be able to do with it? Or like, what possibilities do you want to open with that question? All right. Yeah. So we're coming up to the hour. And for those who have been listening till now, I would love to hear what you think about dreaming now after you heard this conversation. And for those of you who think like, oh my God, that sounds exhausting. Working in my sleep. I'm already, you know, for work during the daytime. I can only say from my personal experience that when you do this and you do work in your dreams, I usually wake up super refreshed and super happy. And I feel already, I wake up feeling accomplished because it's not so much about doing the work, getting something onto paper or whatever your solution is about. It's more about the emotional relief that you have now found a way that works. And just the knowledge that you can now step into action is just such an emotional relief that makes this whole process not laborsome, but really, really pleasurable. That's so interesting. I love, can I say something about that? Hmm? It's, um, you touch upon something that I find fascinating in today's society, which that somehow we classify work as it has to be physical. You have to see it, like either someone's at a computer or writing something down or making something then it's work and it has to feel like you're getting tired from it. But when yeah. it comes to the brains, it shows that we actually do our best thinking when it comes to creative thinking and making new connections in the brain, coming up with something that we really needed to come up with when we feel relaxed. 
I talked about the default mode network before. It's a network that kicks in basically at any time that you're re relaxing, doing something relaxing. It, it could be playing with Lego. I don't care. It could be taking a walk. It could be falling asleep. It's very active in REM sleep when we're having the most active dreams. That is such an amazing, super active state of mind. To me, I always visualize it like the brain saying, oh, finally, everybody shut up. Quick, let's get some work done before they start doing things. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Nicolene, I... Yeah. ...is working. So if you're like, oh, that sounds exhausting, the minute that you feel like, oh, I'm so relaxed, oh, I get to sleep in, this is amazing. Physically, on a brain level, you are working. Like, you're doing it. You're, mm, mm. If you feel relaxed, you are working. Trust me on this. Nicolene, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time that we spent already up front to prepare all of this, but also sharing and sharing in just such an open way. And I think it really showed your personality and it tells people a lot about how you like to work and the sincerity of it. I really thank you. And one of the last questions I always ask is, is there something we have forgotten to talk about? So when we look now back onto this conversation that we, ugh, but, but, the, but, conversation that we just had, is there something where you think like, you know what, we didn't say that. And that's something I, I care to mention. Oh, Thank you. First of all, thank you so much. This is such a fun conversation. And the one thing that we didn't mention, but that you're doing right now is um, you're helping me find ambassadors for the idea that relaxation isn't something that we can just throw away or that we do in the meantime when we're done working, but that's actually a crucial part of our thinking time. And we haven't even touched upon the downsides, just, you know, when you study people in a lab of not getting enough sleep and not getting enough relaxation time, um, most people know it. But you're helping me being an ambassador for our own minds and their need to rest to be able to work because that is when we do work. You're helping me to say, hey, we all know the downsides of not getting enough sleep, but let me tell you about the upsides. Let me tell you how, can you, how you can use this in a really focused manner if you want to. I mean, you're already doing it. You're already thinking in your sleep. You can't help yourself. We all think in our sleeps the whole time long. Yeah. But what if we really want to focus that? And make use of it. And what if there was a world where instead of having a team meeting all day and it's exhausting, we say, okay, we start the meeting at noon. Everybody gets to sleep in for as long as they want, but bring me your ideas. That could save so much time and so much energy and so much effort. And it's way more efficient. In my yeah, yeah. And I'm also thinking, you know, since I'm an entrepreneur, self-employed, when you are moving in that realm with other people, just the guiltiness of not working nonstop because you are the only one or part of a very small team, your personal investment, emotional and financial is tied to your work. It's really hard to detach. And what you thought would be a great idea to make your life better can, can become a nightmare to stay in the same pictures really quickly. So if you know that resting time is really creativity and creative problem solving time, it's not an excuse that you can take time off and enjoy your life. It's an absolute must. Yeah, I love that. I feel like in this day and age where, oh, I pulled an all-nighter is like a badge of honor. It isn't. It's going to make you stupider in the whole day long. And I don't know how great your ideas are going to be. Like sometimes we have to. Sometimes you just have to get something finished. But then I'm talking about executional work. Yeah, that's just performance. That's just outputs, right? That is just... Needs the hours, right? 
But yeah. when it comes to creative ideas, I wonder if we aren't depriving ourselves from our own genius by cutting into rest and by cutting into sleep, because just on a brain scan, you can see that's when the work's being done. So let's tell people about it. Yeah. And can we just please one more time stress that our creativity is our own responsibility. And the only thing that machines will never do better than us is then doing that creative part, coming up with the what seems to be irrational at the beginning and then made logically because it's then later thought through. And we start to make sense of everything ever started with a thought, a belief, a dream, and has been then being made and being constructed. And you don't have to call it dreaming. You can I like to call it with my clients visioneering, vision engineering. And then it usually gets the gets the male parts on board. It's like, oh, I feel like Elon Musk. I'm like, exactly. We're building the vision and then we engineer our way to it to get that change done. And it's really, really important because that's the only thing that will keep you long term in the game of providing and being productive. And yeah, I mean, that's just the aspect for those where that is really important to them. Performance. I love it. Thank you so much for this conversation, Nick. Thank you, Nicolene. Where can we find you? Because I found you on Clubhouse, but Clubhouse is a seasonal thing. Where can we find you? Where's your website? Do you use social media? How do you like to be approached? I, I'm very approachable. Um, I do use Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and my website is called thinkinginyoursleep.com because that's what we're talking about, really. Thinking goes on day and night, and I focus on the thinking in your sleep. And on that website, I have a tab called resources, where I put in the books that we talked about today, some of the research and some like a lot more of the research. So if people are getting fired up and wanting to have some books and research to go back to their family and their bosses and saying, no, there's hard science. I need to sleep in tomorrow. Okay, I got you. Um, I got tons of tons of resources there. And after plowing through them, no one will fight you. No one can ever fight you on your need to just chill out and take time for yourself because um, it's actually more useful than most people think it is. It absolutely is. And I'm just laughing right now because I'm on your website. So it's thinkinginyoursleep.com slash resources and flying over it. And there's this sentence that really just sums up the whole episode. And it says, dreams aren't random brain farts. And I think we've proven this today. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I didn't have to. Scientists do it for me. It's amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for today. This is it, dear listener. Tell me, what do you think now that you've heard this interview with Nicolene about using dreams as a very effective way to come up with better ideas? I think we generally need to step away from that old practice that we've all been raised with that we all believe every single shitty thought that crosses our mind during the day just because we were awake and conscious. But we dismiss every great emotion, feeling, idea that came to us just because we were asleep and we didn't think it through, right? The big thing is thinking it through. And I think after this interview now, it's pretty clear that we still think things through, but we're using our sleeping brain, which is not sleeping at all, right? Which is just tuning out the noise and the distractions that we have to be aware of during the day to, you know, keep us just simply alive. And we can focus on problem solving in a very creative way so that whilst we're sleeping, our brain can make certain connections quicker. 
And what do I take away from this conversation? That's a hard one because I've been talking with Nicolene a lot in the last couple of months. And I love that she's putting the science back into something that we were told is completely woo-woo. And there is a lot of science in there. And my personal conviction is that our dreams are not about giving us the truth. They're just giving us another perspective. And that is what creativity is all about. And what I've noticed over and over again in my life and my work with my clients is just simply that the greatest happiness, the greatest satisfaction in life and just feeling like everything is flowing is when we're moving in that triangle that is inspiration, motivation, and creativity. So if last week's interview with Raphael was about making creativity a conscious practice during our waking hours in our life and using inspiration and motivation to build a skill of being more creative in our daily lives, then Nicolene this week gave us another option of starting with creativity when you maybe didn't have that inspiration or that motivation first. And then one more thing. Whilst I was editing this episode, another question came up and I had to circle back to Nicolene and she gave me a beautiful answer to that. So when we're talking about asking your brain a question that it can focus on while you sleep and everything else is tuned out, I thought about what kind of questions should we ask? And obviously, as we said in the interview, open questions need to be asked. You can't ask yes or no questions. Again, it's not about the truth. It's about getting you perspective. But then I was also thinking of really how to construct this question. And my thought was about, do you ask a how or what question? Or do you ask a why question? And whilst I was thinking about it, and then Nicolene confirmed it, is that if you ask a why question, why can't I? Or why is it that? That question is focusing backwards. It's focusing backwards in time of where lies the reason that you can't do or that something is the way it is, right? You are looking back and then you're tapping more into memory and finding explanations that could give you an answer to what you have to do differently in the future, but it might not. So it might just explain things. And whilst insight is really great to understand your own behavior, it's not enough to make a change. You also need to have an action plan of what to do next. So my preference clearly lies in asking a how or what question. How do I what do I need to do? What is the one thing that will kick me into action? What and how questions are focusing on what to do next? But hey, I think if you've listened to this episode until now, you'll be pretty inspired of trying it yourself. So take Nicolene's action points and set yourself up, have a going to bed routine and have that notebook ready lying next to your bed, write down the question you want to focus about. Maybe talk to somebody you can trust or journal about it and find that question and make it a practice of focusing on what you want to solve before you go to bed. Prepare yourself, ask the question, harvest. And then once you've been doing that for a while, go back. It's so helpful to go back. In this case, obviously, you want to look for patterns or interpretations or what associations you make when you see your notes. But then with journaling in general, go back and remind yourself of the things that you crave, that you wanted to achieve, or read it in order to see how far you've come 
are you still there where you used to be a year ago, 10 years ago, or has life changed? And then appreciate everything that has happened in between, right? Focus on the gain, not the gap. Focus on how you've changed and what you've done in your life in the meantime, since you wrote this, rather than constantly focusing on what you can't do, what you can't have, where you are not yet. So the secret to happiness lies in just comparing yourself to your past self and enjoy where you are now and make those amazing plans for the future. And if you are interested in building a project for yourself, I call it building a passion project. If you want to build a passion project and need some help, I would love to be your coach on that. Let's find out what inspires you. Let's make a plan on how you can step into action and become more motivated. And then go and achieve, do this part, practice, capture those good moments and have me on your side, mirroring back what is going on in your mind, where your passion lies, because sometimes you need to have that outside perspective of having somebody tell you, I noticed that you light up. I noticed that you tense here. Why is that? And just become super aware and then find that sweet spot, getting started and have a plan of what it is you want to achieve and how to harvest creativity in order to get there and have me as accountability to really coach you through your doubts and fire you up and get you excited about the things that you are going to do. And that is how you enjoy life. And that is how you bring more satisfaction and passion and joy. And then ultimately, three to six months later, when you look back on where you are then versus where you started, you will see the richness in your life. The idea of mindfulness is great. But you also need to find space to savor. And that is the actual practice of enjoying to be in the moment, not just think about what you're grateful for, but really practice gratefulness in a doing kind of sense. And if that speaks to you, well, you know where to find me, ahomeworthhaving.com. And this is me signing off. But before we really wrap up this episode, please check out Nicolene's website under thinkinginyoursleep.com. And under the resource tab, you will find all the amazing information and science pieces that she's been talking about in this episode. And please also give her a follow on social media. And last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, my friend, if you found value in it, please leave me a review. It truly makes a difference in getting found by the right people. And if you feel gracious, but are just on the go as you listen right now, please consider this episode worth sharing. I'd be thrilled if you post a link about this episode on social media. Maybe, just maybe, there is that one person in your circle of friends you feel would profit most of from it, or you really want to connect to about thinking in your sleep and what to do with it. So send that link to just one person because a home worth having is all about creating belonging and connection to the right people in your life and yeah, just live with more joy, joie de vivre, and more passion. And I'm looking forward to hearing you again very, very soon. Au revoir, c'est Nicole.